My name is Jing, and my, my colleague Luis over there is uh, getting mic'd up. But I'm a senior product manager on the CloudFormation team. Been working on the team for a little bit under a year and a half. Um, so really excited to tell you about some of the new things coming out of uh, CloudFormation this year. Okay, so this is uh, the agenda there. So kind of three primary sections. Uh, we're going to go through some coverage updates. Then we'll go through some of the new features that we released recently. Uh, and then we'll go through some really exciting new programming options available. And uh, I mean, these are probably not as relevant anymore, but we were shamelessly advertising some of the other sessions that CloudFormation had. So if you guys haven't checked these out, uh, uh, so I think some of these will be available in recording. Okay, um, I'm assuming a lot of you basically know what CloudFormation is, but who, who's used CloudFormation before here? Raise your hands. Basic, basically everybody here. So, I mean, really, really high introduction, right? Uh, a CloudFormation infrastructure as code tool for AWS. Um, you provide us a template, uh, you give it to CloudFormation, we provision that, that for you, right? Uh, of course, there's some best practices that we always recommend, right? We recommend that you treat your template just as any other code. You put it in source control, you version control it, uh, using a CI-CD pipeline. That way you can have automatic testing, all those good things, right? Um, if you guys, uh, how much, how many of you guys know CDK? So, so like 30, 40% of you. Uh, CDK was in developer preview for, for uh, I think, since last year. And then this year, it GA'd, uh, it launched this year. Um, if you guys prefer to use high-level imperative languages like JavaScript, TypeScript, I believe Python, and then they have uh, Java in developer preview, something like that, uh, that's another option. Uh, it's using CDK. Um, okay, and uh, how, how many of you are familiar with chain sets? Okay, so change sets is basically our preview capability, right? So um, before you uh, create a new stack or update a stack, you can run change sets, and change sets will tell you um, what you're gonna, what's gonna happen before you run the stack. That way you don't have to actually run it to know what will happen, right? So very important for those critical production stacks and things like that. Okay, so uh, coverage updates. So um, if you guys don't know what coverage is, basically, uh, as AWS innovates, right, it comes out with new services um, or enhancements of existing services. The process of coverage is bringing those innovations uh, over to CloudFormation, right? So that it's available in CloudFormation in the forms of uh, either new resource types or updates to existing resource types, right? Um, based on feedback, we know that coverage is really, really critical. So the team has been very, very focused to getting um, coverage out to you guys faster and more frequently. Okay, so this slide just shows some of the things that CloudFormation recently released that resulted in one or more new coverage items. All right, and I'm just gonna go through a couple of examples here. Um, Amazon EventBridge, right, serverless event bus service, I believe it was launched in July. Uh, we recently provided some uh, new resource types to cover that. Uh, AWS Lake Formation, right, launched in uh, August this year. We provided day one support on the day that it launched for Lake Formation. Um, AWS Security Hub, right, centralized view of uh, all your security notifications and compliance checks. Uh, that launched in June. Again, we also had day one support for that service as well. So uh, the point of this slide is basically if you guys are checking out some of these services, uh, then those CloudFormation covered it. We totally do now, so check them out uh, through CloudFormation. Okay, so this is supposed to uh, give you a higher level context of the coverage effort in general. Um, as of last week, 
CloudFormation had 488 resource types. And I believe this week we had a couple of new launches, right? So we also covered those day one. One of the examples is um, S3 access points. So we have a new service, a uh, new resource type for that as well. Um, but if you compare that to last year, and the last year we had just a little bit over 300 resource types, right? So obviously that's an increase of uh, almost 200 resource types and almost an increase of uh, more than 50%. So this kind of just shows how the team is very focused on giving you guys more frequent resource type updates. Um, and then this is just a list of uh, services that recently had their resource types updated, right? And you can kind of see it's kind of a big gamut of things, kind of goes all over the place. Um, but if you guys ever need uh, more details in terms of which resource types have, are new or haven't updated, we have a comprehensive history of it in our release history. Just go to Google and type CloudFormation release history and you guys have all the details there. All right, so the public coverage roadmap. Um, so this is something we launched this summer. Uh, very excited about this, we received a lot of great feedback around it and there's kind of a couple of primary benefits to having a open source roadmap on GitHub. Uh, the first being we wanted direct input from our customers and our community, right? And we want you guys to tell us which ones are the most and the highest priority items. So you can do this in two ways. Number one, if you kind of search it and you don't find the coverage item that you find important on there, just go to issues and submit us a new issue. Um, if you do find it, of course, you just go in there and, and plus one it, right? Um, Basically, the ones that, you know, the CloudFormation team looks at this as a very, very important data point in deciding which coverage item to, to work on next. All right, so very important there. Um, the second benefit is, of course, visibility. Right, so I get a lot of questions from customers saying, hey, when will feature X be covered? And with this, you will know exactly what CloudFormation is working on at any given time in terms of coverage, right? Of course, the things that are confidential, right, day one launch type things we won't put on here, that will ruin the surprise for everybody, but everything else that CloudFormation does in terms of coverage will be right on here. So you kind of see it's broken down into four different columns, right? The researching column. That basically means it's something that we've actively prioritized. And um, we might be doing some initial designs on it. Uh, might be talking to the service team to get a little bit more details around it, right? So just kind of kicking off there. Uh, we'll work on it. it means someone's actually fingers to keyboard implementing the new coverage item. Uh, coming soon means might be the last stage of implementation, might be doing some final testing, might even be actively be deploying at this point for that. And then of course, shipped means you can actively use it now. And if you want more information on it, go to the public documentation. We'll have the details for you there. So, so again, really exciting thing for us. Uh, a lot of great feedback. This is only gonna work with contributions, right? So if you guys haven't checked it out, go to GitHub, please check it out. You know, input your uh, highest priority coverage items for us. Okay, so, so that's the features. Um, that's the coverage items. So next, we'll move on to feature highlights. So the first thing I want to talk about is the console UX updates. So if you guys been to the console in the last you know, couple of months, uh, you've probably seen this new console already, right? So beyond the new visual and aesthetic changes, uh, a lot of the changes actually made underneath the hood in terms of performance updates, right? So you'll know uh, as you kind of explore different screens, you'll, you'll notice that some of the data items will show up a little bit quicker. Um, so beyond that, there's a couple of functional changes as well. Um, for example, if you look at that stacks right there in the top left, a little box next to it, if you guys click on that, the left panel actually goes away, minimizes, and then the right panel kind of expands. So it gives you guys just a little bit more uh, options in how you want to view your console at any given time. Uh, for another example is the view nested toggle, right? So if you guys use nested stacks, um, 
if that toggle is turned on, you'll be able to see those stacks with a little tag that's called nested right next to it. You won't see it on the screen here, but uh, it kind of differentiate which stacks are nested and which stacks aren't nested. And then if you turn it off, your nested stacks will basically just won't show up in the list. It won't be deleted or anything like that, but it just will be filtered out and you won't be able to see it. Um, so we need all these changes. Uh, you can think about this as a new console v1. Right, we, we've just implemented this as a first release kind of thing. So uh, we've been getting a lot of feedback around the console. We made some changes around it. For example, kind of like the, even the left side with the uh, split view there, split pane view. Uh, we implemented that relatively recently based on feedback. So please continue to give us feedback on this. Right, we're constantly iterating on this new console, and um, we appreciate that. Okay, so resource import. Uh, really exciting one. Um, if you guys attended some of the other CloudFormation Central, you might have heard about it. But a uh, really, really cool feature, we just launched this a couple of weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, uh, at a really, really high level. What it does is it basically allows you, if you have any resources that were created outside of CloudFormation, uh, you can now import that resource into CloudFormation without having to redo it, right? We recreate it. Uh, and then if you guys have multiple resources, uh, you can import multiple resources in a single operation. Um, there's a lot of different uh, reasons why people have resources outside of CloudFormation. The big ones that I hear from customers are uh, maybe these are legacy resources, right? They existed prior to them even starting to use CloudFormation. So uh, this is really relevant for like uh, stateful resources, databases, for example, um, without having to recreate it because recreating would be kind of a big, big deal. You can just import that database right into CloudFormation. Uh, Another reason is uh, people like to quickly prototype, right? Or maybe they have a really simple application they want to do. So they're starting up, they go to the console, they kind of build some things and mess around a little bit. But then as the application gets, it grows and it gets more complicated, then they're like, oh yeah, I got to get this thing in the CloudFormation, right? So that's where resource import comes in. So import your operation directly into it without having to recreate it. Uh, so the next couple of slides are going to be kind of use cases for resource import. Uh, the first one being refactoring resources in a stack itself. So for example, right, we have two stacks here, stack A and stack B. And for some reason, you know, you decide to move the resource from stack A to stack B. Um, with resource import, this is how you do it. You basically go to stack A, and then you, um, on the resource that you want to move, you put a deletion policy of retain on it. What that basically means is if you delete it from CloudFormation, that resource won't actually be deleted, right? It'll still be in your account what you'd be doing is just basically removing it from the management of CloudFormation. And then the next step, you can import that resource into stack B, and there you go, right? You've refactored your stacks. So a lot of customers told us this is useful because, um, uh, you know, two years ago, they made something in CloudFormation and they re kind of redid their architecture. Now they want to move the resource around and they don't want to have to recreate that resource. Okay, so another use case is remediating drift. So um, Drift is basically uh, when the template intent of your resource doesn't match the actual live state configuration of your resource. So for example, right? Um, say I'm sleeping and I get paged 1 a.m. in the morning, my database is in trouble, there's issues in it, uh, I have to go in and tweak some configurations and change the capacity, things like that, right? What that means now is that live state of that database is no longer synced up with your template. Um, so now resource import, it provides you a nice convenient way to fix that, right? So again, using the same techniques, you uh, put the retain on there, deletion policy retain, you remove it, and when you import it back in, you simply import it with the, uh, you describe the resource and you get the kind of life state of it, and then you import it with the current properties of the resource, right? Very cool. 
So uh, you know, additional uses, uh, again, using the same technique, if you want to logically rename your resource without deleting it, you can use uh, import it back with a new logical name. Uh, you can treat a full CloudFormation stack as a resource. And if you do that, you import it into another stack, and it basically becomes a nested stack, right? So uh, these are all the stack, uh, slides I have for resource import. But of course, right, we just released a couple, couple of weeks ago. Um, there's probably a bajillion other use cases that we haven't even discovered yet, because you guys are very, very creative in the way that you use the features that we build. So as you guys get your hands in there, right, get creative and use resource import in, in a lot of different ways, a very flexible tool, um, please let us know your, your uh, use cases. We'd love to hear about them. Okay, so the next couple of features are gonna be around stack sets. Uh, who's familiar with stack sets? Okay, so about you know, 20, 30% of you guys. Um, stack sets is a feature in CloudFormation that deals with multi-account, multi-region deployments, right? So for using stack sets, if you wanted to deploy a CloudFormation stack across accounts, across regions, you can do so in a single operation using stack sets. Um, recently, we released drift detection for stack sets. Uh, basically, you know, uh, drift detection was available in CloudFormation stacks, right? It'll tell you um, whether any of your resources in your stacks uh, had their properties drifted, right, from, again, from the template state. So now that it's available in stack sets, you get that centralized view across many, many stacks, across many, many accounts, right? So it's a very convenient way just to check uh, whether your, your applications, your workflows have drifted at all um, kind of across your, your many, many accounts. The second one is uh, limit increases. So uh, StackSets is actually relatively new. That's why a lot of you folks probably have never uh, heard of it before. It just launched in 2017. And um, since then, we actually had a tremendous amount of adoption of StackSets. And uh, as people you know, use StackSets to manage their stacks in X accounts and Y regions, uh, they're saying, hey, like we're growing. Can you give us more StackSets, right? Can you give us more limits? So the team worked really hard this year, and we've increased uh, you know, both the limits and StackSets. So the number of stack sets you can have in your admin account went from 20 to 100. And then for each one of those stack sets, um, each one of those stack sets, they can manage something called a stack instance. And all a stack instance is is a unique combination of an account and a region, right? So each stack sets uh, went from 500 to 2,000 stack instances. So that was great. We launched it in August. Um, a lot of great feedback around it. People were like, yeah, finally. Uh, but even now, it's December, a couple of months later, a quarter later, and people are already you know, starting to grumble, say, hey, this is cool, August is really cool, but it's December now, and like, I, don't, I need more stack sets, right? I need more limits, you know, we're growing fast. Um, so that's a really, really great problem for us to have. Um, so as long as there's more demand for limits, which there is right now, um, the team will continue to do different, you know, different ways to continue to increase the limits for stack sets. Okay, so this next one is also a stack sets a uh, new feature, but it's a little bit different in that it's not quite launched yet. So at the beginning of the week, um, there's a lot of buzz around this, but you know, there's been, I think, at least a couple, a lot of different uh, sessions that talked about this, so you guys might have heard it by now. But if not, um, this is definitely the, the first week in which we're talking about this feature publicly, so you guys are among the group to first hear about this new feature. Um, at a very high level, it's basically a deeper integration between stack sets and AWS organizations, right? And what that's gonna lead to is a lot of different benefits. Um, they all kind of evolve around automation. So it makes it much easier for you guys to manage your multi-account, multi-region deployments. So the first change is around the permission model. If you guys use StackSets today, um, you guys are using what's called a self-service permission model. Basically, obviously, right, you have two accounts and you want to deploy from one account to another account kind of thing. 
uh, you need to build that trust relationship. You need to set those permissions up, right? So today, customers would basically create a role and then deploy that role to, in all the different accounts that you need to deploy to, right? So self-service model. Um, and those accounts, as long as it has that role for Staxis to use, it can be really kind of any account, right? Uh, it could be inside an organization or outside an organization, doesn't really matter. Um, with this new feature, uh, we're introducing something called service managed permissions. What that means is that if the account that you want to deploy to is in a full, ax, uh, full service AWS organization, um, you no longer need to do that. The service will take care of uh, all the permissions for you so that uh, basically you don't have to worry about it anymore. Right? So it's a much more hands-off permission time management. The second enhancement is the ability to deploy to either an organizational route, which basically means all the accounts in your organization, or one or more organizational units, right? So again, in today's world, uh, you kind of determine individual accounts you want to deploy to, right? And that's determined by that role I mentioned earlier. Uh, with this new feature, now you can deploy to, you know, multiple OUs. So in this example, say I chose to deploy to OU1s, OU2s, and OU3. What that basically means is stack sets will, you know, deploy to uh, accounts one to account five in this case. Um, Organizational units um, OUs are a really great way to logically organize your accounts. Um, common ways I've heard from customers are uh, functionally, right? Uh, here are my HR accounts, here are my billing accounts, here are my finance accounts, et cetera, right? Uh, another really common way is uh, by environment. Right? My dev accounts, my test accounts, my stage accounts, my product accounts. As you can see, you know, obviously, right, different account types uh, will have very different resource needs, right? Maybe even different resources or different configurations of resources. You can imagine my product accounts can be a lot more locked down than my dev accounts, right? So using OUs, you have that natural separation of different account types, right? And then you can set up your stack sets, either different stack sets or you know, using parameter overrides. You can then have different stack sets deployed to different account types. That way, um, those different needs of those different account types will be met by this new feature. Uh, and then the final uh, feature uh, enhancement for this is automatic deployments. And I'm gonna kind of explain this using a concrete example. So again, I have uh, OU1s, OU2, and OU3 here. All of a sudden, I need a new account. I need account six, right? A new employee came in, or a new project came in, right? So I add account six to OU3. If I have automatic deployments turned on, basically what that means is StackSets will be aware that a new account has been added to an OU that the my StackSets is managing, and automatic deploy the stack to that account. If you have multiple StackSets set up, uh, for maybe some for your networking, some for your application layer, some for your data layer, et cetera, all those stack sets will deploy to that account, right? This ensures that you're basically, you, whenever a new account comes in, it's set up to the way that you specified. So um, basically, you know, as you can imagine, right, all these different uh, enhancements with this feature, uh, the goal is to make the management of your multi-account, uh, multi-region deployments as effortless as possible. Right, you set up your OUs, you put your accounts in there, and you set up your stacks in a certain way. You kind of set it and forget it type thing, right? You turn on automatic deployments, and as you, know, you guys grow, and as you guys add more and more accounts, those accounts will just be automatically set up using this new feature. Right? So again, we're really excited about this one. Um, again, it's not released yet, but you know, in the coming months, it'll, it'll be a launch out there. So you know, if you guys are interested, get your hands on it, provide some feedback on it, we'd love to hear about it. Okay, so that kind of wraps up the features, right? Um, we talked a little bit about the UX improvements on the console, right? Think about that as the V1 enhancement for the console. So get in there, you know, try it out. If you have any feedback, please let us know. 
um, resource import, right? Really flexible tools, capable of doing a lot of different use cases for you guys. Again, play with it a little bit, just launched. Uh, let us know what you think about that. Um, and then stacks it, right? Um, we, you know, a lot of folks I talk to say, hey, like we checked out stack sets a year ago, a year and a half ago. It didn't really fit our needs for various reasons. But if that's the case for you guys, um, check it out again, right? In the past year, year and a half, it's a completely new beast now. Um, the team has invested a, rare, uh, a lot into stack sets because we get a lot of feedback from customers saying multi-account, multi-region is like a really kind of grown thing for them, right? So check it out again. Um, team has invested a lot in stack sets. It will continue to invest a lot in stack sets. So uh, that's me. I'm going to hand it over to my colleague, Luis. Thank you, guys. Thank you, buddy. Good morning, folks. All right. So today, I'm going to talk about more programming options. CloudFormation. Everybody can hear me okay? Perfect. Um, so I've been a developer advocate with CloudFormation now for three years. I think one of the critical things that I was interested in when I joined the team was we need to provide developers with a better experience, with more options, and over the last three years uh, we've attempted to do that. Um, this uh, table is meant to kind of like give you a, a diagram of the various programming options and the various programming activities that a developer will do with CloudFormation. When people code in CloudFormation, they'll code in probably one of these scenarios. And working our way from left to right, most people in CloudFormation are going to code directly in the declarative language. Traditionally, this has been with JSON a few years back, about three years ago. We started supporting YAML. Most of our users not only will uh, code in this environment, but also will continue to code in that. So we're always looking for better ways to improve experience there. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we've done with validation in the last couple of years to improve the experience there. Uh, we've had options for transform slash macros for a while. The first one was the serverless application model. How many of you have used SAM before? All right, that's a pretty good number, about 25, 30% of you. Uh, we started with SAM, we provided another uh, transform for includes. Last year we released macros, which is a more generalized way to do transforms. How many of you have used macros? A little fewer, That's to be expected, it's a little bit newer. Then higher level language is something that's been available in CloudFormation now for several years uh, via third parties initially. Uh, one of the uh, canonical examples here it's Troposphere, it's a very stable project for Python developers that you write Python and it generates uh, CloudFormation. There's a handful of others. There's SparkleFormation for Ruby, and uh, this year I discovered VaporShell for people that use uh, PowerShell. And we got into, into this with CDK, and I have some updates on that here today. And then you have custom resources, which the primary purpose of those are if you want to have CloudFormation manage a resource that we don't yet support, so we were talking about coverage earlier, uh, but also custom resources have been used for all sorts of other utilities, like for example, creating a proxy resource or creating a resource that does some extra calculations. So not in all cases it's, it's actually for custom resources, but those are generally 
the uh, programming type. So I have some updates on some of these areas and we're gonna add a brand new option here uh, today as well. So for the majority of users using YAML, uh, one of the top recommendations that we have for you guys, if you're not using the linter, both in your authoring and in your CI and CD pipelines, we strongly recommend that you do. Uh, how many of you use Linter today? That's great to see, that's great to see. Um, we have, uh, uh, so, uh, we started this about at the beginning of last year. It's been very popular. It's um, been downloaded or installed from PIP over three million times. It always has and continues to support the validation of YAML and JSON. If you point it to a directory full of files, it will scan them all and give you errors on them all or warnings. It, it leverages our resource spec, and I'll talk a little bit about that because our resource spec is also changing in the future. It supports SAM by essentially transforming before linting the template. There's plugins for seven popular editors. Some newer things this year, if you guys use um, GitHub Actions, it now supports a GitHub action to actually execute the linter. Um, and customizing and overriding specs is a very powerful part of this. Uh, and this is something that we've been talking a lot with customers because um, beyond doing your typical checks, there's this article in particular that talks about how to customize it. You can override the files that it uses for its rules and its specifications to say, for example, if in your company every time you create databases you require specific tags, you can make the linter say, uh, warning, you created that database without tags. You can keep people from creating a resource type. You can enforce or require a property, or you can forbid a property value, for example, as people are putting these templates out, don't allow the creation of public buckets. So the way that you would enforce that is that you would encourage people to actually use the linter while they're authoring, but then also use the linter headless in your CI-CD pipeline. And if somebody tries to get away with trying to create a bucket that's public, then you fail it on the pipeline at that point. So it's become a critical tool, not only for validation, for developer productivity, but also to help you uh, enforce some rules. And another kind of like best practice here is that um, traditional confirmation users didn't used to do this, but a lot of the new users will do it. Uh, you should put all your CloudFormation code in, in, in version control, and every CloudFormation deployment should be driven by CI-CD pipelines, not unlike the rest of your code. So that's on the uh, YAML JSON. Those are some of the improvements for developers that are working primarily in that, in that scope. CDK. We started this last year and became generally available in July of this year. It benefits for all the new coverage additions and updates because they also use our resource spec. And we update that about once a week. CDK, as opposed to other tools like Sparkle or Troposphere, take a, takes a language agnostic approach to, uh, to what it does. So it supports JavaScript, Python, Java, and .NET today. And because it's an open source project, it's open to be enhanced with other languages. Uh, recently, they added support for nested stacks. And I think one of the key powers of CDK is that it leverages 
different layers of abstraction via constructs. If you've never seen this, how many of you are using CDK? I think he asked you. It's a few of you. So there's three levels of abstraction. Uh, at a basic level, if you're writing in, in Node, for example, you can essentially create any CloudFormation resource that's on the uh, resource spec. So those 488, 491, create the resource, pass it a property, you're good to go. The second level are a little bit higher abstraction where you would have, for example, something like a VPC where CDK picks sensible defaults for you and you have to write less input properties and yet less code. But the really powerful one are these level three or pattern constructs. Whereas an example, you have a whole architecture that you can deploy essentially in a couple of lines of CDK code. I'll use this example of imagine if you have a container application in, a, in an image with three lines or so of CDK code, you can write the equivalent of 800 lines of CloudFormation. That includes creating a VPC and its subnets, internet gateway, load balancer, the task definition that goes into Fargate, so it becomes very compact. And the convenient part of this is that not only does it help developers from a productivity perspective, but it also becomes an easy way for you to share best practices. Because you'll tell your developers, uh, we should all use this particular construct to create load balance Fargate, and then all those will look the same. Very compact code. If you set up your editor the right way with the right plugins, it gives you inline hints and suggestions. And with these abstractions, really, CDK goes well above and beyond just generating code. So we're excited about their progress. We're looking at ways to leverage some of these things that CDK is developing and the things that are becoming popular in CDK and integrating those things back into the main CloudFormation uh, code base as well. Now, like I said before, however, there'll be a segment of people that will benefit a great deal from CDK. There will be yet a whole bunch of people that will continue to use YAML. So you should expect that we'll continue to support both of those for a very, very long time. So back to this um, description of the world according to developers of CloudFormation, all these options and everything, as I, as I hinted before, today we're gonna add a new option here that we recently announced. Before we do that, let's take a look at what a native resource looks like. Uh, by now, this should be very familiar to you. You name a resource, you name its type. Our namespace for most resources is gonna start with AWS colon colon. There's one or two resources that I think are Alexa colon colon. And then custom resource, which we'll talk about in a little bit. It's a different namespace. And then you list properties. We run these in our managed runtime. We track them, we monitor them, we get events and logs from them. And it leverages all the features of CloudFormation that make it unique, like rollbacks, stabilization, change sets, etc. All the resources that we support then end up in our resource spec, and that spec gets leveraged by Linter, CDK, and last time I checked, over 100 tools that work with CloudFormation one way or another, which is great. They're fairly easy to use. They all have the same form and shape. So once you know how to write one in terms of like type and properties, 
you kind of know how to write them all. A custom resource starts in a similar way. It starts with the namespace custom colon colon. It will have some properties as well. And to implement these, most people use AWS Lambda. There's another way to do it, but it's rarely used. Um, you must set up your lambdas, code them, test them, uh, track their uh, invocations. You must set up execution roles for those, the right permissions, etc. Tools like the linter cannot validate these out of the box because they're not part of the resource spec, because they're not in any way registered with us. Although with the linter, you can actually override those specifications and have a little bit of validation for your custom resources. They've been around for a while. They're widely used. There are many examples available on GitHub. <clears throat> uh, how many of you use custom resources today? Great. That's great. Um, so this has been the, kind of like the default option to extend CloudFormation, if you will, with stuff that might not be supported by native AWS resources, and in many cases using external APIs. So one of the things that we announced in the last 10 days is the CloudFormation registry. <clears throat> How many of you have heard about the registry? Oh, great. That's about 35% maybe. So what is the registry? It's a combination of new features, including a new managed runtime and tools that enable us to manage and extend CloudFormation to manage resources beyond those AWS native resource types but also inheriting many of the benefits and features that are only available to the CloudFormation native resource types. So how do we accomplish that? So the visual of it is, uh, this is what it looks like on the console. And for people that are not gonna write custom resources, we're, gonna, we're making this as an easy way to discover and consume these custom resource providers that now you can use with CloudFormation. What you will see here is native AWS resources. You will see private resources that you can implement with our custom resource providers, tools that we're developing. And you'll also see third-party resources um, for the first time. What do those look like? Well, the first thing that you notice that's a little bit different is that we're expanding the namespace. So you can use something like any company, colon, colon, service, colon, colon, resource and pass it properties. But because these are not like Lambda custom resources, you don't have to deploy uh, Lambdas and execution roles when you build these and submit them to the registry. We take care of all that for you and it runs in our runtime, in the same runtime that we run our native uh, resources. What's also awesome about this is that if you build them with the tools that we're providing you and that we released recently, and you submit those to the registry, and you write them with the right handlers, now your custom resource can be seen by a rollback or participate in a chain set or be used uh, in stack sets in exactly the same way that you would use uh, native resources in those. And further, as we expand more features into CloudFormation, your custom resources will be able to support things like drift detection and things like um, resource import, which we just announced recently. So that's the idea here. We're making them 
easier to create with some of these tools, easier to discover, easier to consume with richer functionality. I mentioned that we've opened this up so that uh, not only um, you can create your own private resources, but also third parties can create resources in CloudFormation. So in a single CloudFormation template, you might see AWS resources like RDS and Fargate and many others like that. You might see your own custom private resources in your company, and you can define Atlassian resources, Datadog resources, New Relic, New Relic and others. And we expect to aggressively grow this. In fact, just this week, we have gotten a lot of reach outs from other partners that want to participate in the registry. So, it's kind of like a new way, a new next generation custom resources. How do you go about creating those? Well, we released uh, an open source tool called CloudFormation CLI, specifically at the beginning to create these custom resources. And what we're trying to do is really simple. The motivation behind this is, and it ties back to what we always talk about CloudFormation with challenges about coverage and coverage gaps. Uh, for a, a few years, when CloudFormation first started, there were enough services in, uh, in CloudFormation, there were like 35 services, that the CloudFormation team essentially owned the coding of all the, the, the support for all the types, for all the resource types and for all the services. That was back when AWS had like 35 services. Now AWS seems like it has six million services, more like 150 or so. But each one of those services has a ton of APIs and there's literally thousands of developer teams creating and updating hundreds, uh, tens of thousands of APIs. And to add CloudFormation support, uh, we've, we've continued to add these libraries that we provide other teams in AWS, and they can provide CloudFormation support, but it takes a couple of weeks but th because there's a lot of things that you'll have to wire together. So what we decided to do earlier this year was, let's modernize that and let's make it easier to add CloudFormation support and generate a lot of code so that now, rather than taking weeks in adding CloudFormation support, it takes days. And the way that we do that is via code generation and some other kind of like automations, which I'll discuss here in a bit. We're providing that to our internal teams. We made it so that even our own teams are gonna be using this standard, and we're providing that to you as well. So we're all starting from equal footing We'll all be creating CloudFormation resource types in the exact same way and getting the same benefit, including third-party providers as well. So this tool helps you initialize a coding project. Like CDK, we're being language agnostic, so we're supporting multiple languages. Uh, it leverages other parts of uh, other tools that we have out there, like SAM Local, so that you can do local testing. We help you validate some of the resource provider definitions. And the key here as a developer is that you focus first of having a very rich, detailed schema. And from the information on that schema, we then help you generate API stubs and everything that you need to create, update, and describe those, uh, those resources. So everything is very central to creating the schema. And we start with a uh, JSON schema compliant. It's JSON schema as a standard 
uh, this actually goes and complies with the draft seven of the JSON schema standard. Just to give you an impression of the kind of power that this gives us is this. If you look at our resource spec, a resource spec is very simple JSON that tells you this resource exists in CloudFormation, this is its name, these are the properties that it accepts, and these are the required properties, but it doesn't do much more than that. With a fully formed JSON schema, you obviously can put those things. You can give now more information about order. When there's more than one property, you can kind of like be more specific about how many items you're gonna accept. For each one of those resources, you're gonna have uh, handlers, and for those handlers, you're gonna have specific permissions. And in the schema itself, you're gonna be able to define with a lot of precision which permissions each handler uses. If you've been a CloudFormation user for a while and have had to experiment with creating something and figuring out exactly what EC2 permissions CloudFormation requires to create an instance or what RDS permissions it requires, rather than having to go to trial and error, this thing not only helps you define those permissions specifically, but because you do, we can actually help you generate the necessary IAM policies and execution roles so you don't have to. So it starts with a very detailed schema that allows us to have better validation, more precision and visibility as to the permissions that everything requires, which parameters are accepted, which are required, which are, can be passed only once, which are read only, which are write only, et cetera, et cetera. With all that information, now we can generate a lot of the stub code for you for all the handlers and for tests for those handlers. For a particular language, you may, for example, if you're working with Java, we can help you set up the Maven project so you have an easy way to add dependencies to it. If you're working with Go, we can help you set up the make for that. And we also are supporting Python uh, in the beginning. And this, of course, is open source as well. So we are accepting uh, plugins for other languages as well. The ability to have more handlers now, before you had to create a create, update, and delete handler for those operations in CloudFormation. Now we tell you we want you to create, create, update, delete, uh, read, and list, such that in the future you'll be able to list resources that perhaps you can import from your own custom resources. And if you do a describe type of like handler, you'll be able to compare state and be able to provide drift detection for those types of resources as well. The specs are gonna be updated so they're richer. So all the tools that use the specs, like the validations and the linters and the CDK, get the benefit from also the richer schema. And the invocations are managed by us. You don't have to deploy your own lambdas or the execution roles. We actually run them for you. The way that works is that you submit them to our registry. They're registered by us. We'll let you manage versions with that. And then those things will emit the same type of events and the same type of errors, and the errors will be combined with all the native resources. So at the end of the day, you'll be able to write custom resources that look and feel as native resources in CloudFormation. As I mentioned before, uh, we're doing it language agnostic. The reason for supporting Java first is because most services that we consume internal to AWS happen to be Java-based. Then we support Go because we've gotten a lot of feedback from people that have built resource providers in, in things like Terraform and Helm, and they have APIs 
that are Go APIs, and we want you to be able to reuse those Go APIs and quickly build CloudFormation equivalents. And then you got Python, which is one of the most popular languages that we see out there in the CloudFormation ecosystem of open source. But once again, we're open to other languages. The CLI also, besides generating this code and validating and helping you test it, automatically packages and submits the code to the registry as well. Once in the registry, gets executed and invoked and tracked and logged like any other native or non-native resource provider. And like I said, no need to manually deploy uh, lambdas or maintain those. And by design, we designed this to be open source from day one. Not only are we open sourcing the CLI tool to do all the automation in the hopes that we work with the community to improve it very quickly and to perhaps do more automation and more code generation for you. We're also open sourcing the language plugins. But importantly here, we intend to open source most of our native resource providers. And we already have open source a handful of them. And in fact, there's one of them that I think it's one of the CloudWatch logs. I might be wrong, but if you go into our GitHub organization, you'll see our resource provider for the registry uh, and you see the code for it. And that's a resource provider that's actually being used by everybody in CloudFormation right now across all regions. Why do we want to do that? For several reasons. First, we figured that by showing you our code, we would get some really good guidance as what are the quality practices that we use to create proper native resources in CloudFormation, and you can use those ideas. Secondly, if you, for example, want to start to create your VPC, but don't quite like how we create the VPCs ourselves, you can start with our code and then create your own version of it, deploy it into your registry, and then tell your company, we'll be creating VPCs with our own version of the code. And then, of course, kind of like maintain it as we maintain ours. In many cases, uh, we do stabilization timeouts and retries and everything. If you want to see how we do those things and you want to use that in your code, you can leverage that as well. Uh, I was talking to a couple of developers earlier this week, and uh, if you use CloudFormation long enough, I'm sure that you've been in that situation where you say, well, CloudFormation had an error, but the error didn't tell me much. And usually we tell people, well, you know, we're kind of like a wrapper to the underlying API, and sometimes the underlying API doesn't give me a great error. Here, as you see our code and how we're trying to catch exceptions and everything, not only can you see how we're actually getting that error, but perhaps the community can help us come up with a more logical error and the whole error uh, precision situation might improve for all of us. So it has some really good side effects. The only reason that I'm not saying that we're gonna open source all of them is that we do have some resources that use private APIs and those we won't be able to open source. But the large majority of them don't. So our intention is to open source and migrate all those resources into the registry. So then when you see them on the registry, you'll see the resources, you'll have access to the source code behind them, and on the registry, you'll see the much, the much more precise schema, and you know uh, at that point, uh, all our handlers exactly what permissions they require. So this should improve validation and should decrease frustration when even operating resources that you will have errors with. And from a perspective of a developer that's trying to expand CloudFormation, it should increase your productivity to productivity significantly. Now, I touched upon this being kind of like a 
next generation of custom resources, it probably behooves us to compare them a little bit. And you should pretty much work with the impression of you don't have to migrate your custom resources if you like what you have right now. And in many cases, custom resources are used for all sorts of other handy utilities, like I mentioned before. For languages, traditional custom resources can use any AWS Lambda language, and with layers, you can even add more. For registry resource providers, we start with Java, Go, Python, <clears throat> but again, it's meant to be language agnostic with more to come, driven by the community. Namespace, uh, the custom resources can only use custom or custom resource. With registry resource providers, you can use essentially your own namespace. Execution, for custom resources, you deploy your own functions and execute and track them. Registry resource providers essentially are executed in our managed runtime. Uh, the registry resource providers are visible in the registry. They can take advantage of native confirmation features like uh, chain sets and rollbacks and others. And of course, they leverage the new CLI because it's essentially designed for them. If you do choose to migrate a custom resource, again, you don't have to and we'll continue to support them, um, you can do so. Uh, what it will be involved will probably be start first by creating <coughs> a JSON schema as detailed as possible, and we will help you with that. In fact, I saw an article, this got, this got released about eight or nine days ago, and a colleague of mine wrote a blog, and it turns out that there's now a linter that actually helps you write this particular JSON schema as well. Uh, there's a linter plugin, I think, for Visual Studio Code already. So you start with that JSON schema, initialize the project, uh, generate the code, then possibly reuse the APIs that you used before for the custom resources for your create, update, and delete handlers, add a couple more API calls for the other handlers that we want you to write, leverage the CLI to test the additional handlers, and then when ready, submit to the registry. Uh, as we go on, and this is kind of like early, we probably want to give you more migration guidance and advice, and perhaps more examples, but at a high level, if you want to take advantage of these new registry resource providers, that's kind of like the thing that you would have to do. So back to this diagram, we're really starting to fill up and give even more options for confirmation developers from being purely declarative to having macros, transforms, and of course in macros and transforms you can also use things like Jinja. Uh, if you want to program in a higher level language, you can use CDK, some of the other more language specific functions. You can use the traditional custom resources, not only for resources themselves, but for other utility functions. And then you, you can use these new custom resources that you can leverage confirmation features and consume uh, all our resources, including third-party resources from people like Datadog and New Relic. So we continue to expand the options for developers. We like to think that we're continuing to improve the developer experience. We're being more collaborative and transparent with developers as well. And we hope that this has a lot of good side effects. And as we benefit from using these tools to create CloudFormation coverage faster, and our colleagues at AWS can do that faster, so can the community contribute, and all together we can have more of those resources in CloudFormation. So let's summarize. Today we talked about our continued investments to provide the highest coverage possible. Right at the end where we talk about some of this 
tools to make creating CloudFormation resources in general a lot faster. From the things that we've done with coverage that Jing mentioned before, where this year, it used to be that we would have coverage updates in our release history once a month. Now we do it several times a month. From the public coverage roadmap that right now, since July, is driving our priority in terms of like which coverage items we, we touch first. More transparency in coverage priorities via that roadmap. New features like resource import. Spending a lot of time in improving developer experience and there's still, I think you would argue, uh, many other places that we can do that as well. And then new programming options to extend CloudFormation. We very much welcome your involvement in not only influencing what we're doing, but influencing the general strategy and overall direction of CloudFormation. One of the things that we did this year was we created our own dedicated CloudFormation org on GitHub. And no, we didn't do this to make it even more confusing to find AWS stuff on GitHub, because I realized that there's a whole bunch of other um, uh, repositories and orgs on GitHub. But this is so that we can quickly put out their uh, new repositories, and that's where you will find the linter. Uh, there's, a, there's a plugin called Template Schema that lets you do um, auto-suggest when you're writing uh, JSON and YAML there as well. All sorts of other utilities, the CLI, the language plugins, and the first uh, series of repos that will have some of those internal resource provider code that we intend to open source. The public coverage roadmap, I strongly encourage you to check it out, not only to request new things in terms of coverage, also to plus one some of the ones that are there. And although we focus on coverage, we do get a lot of enhancement requests there. And again, the focus is on coverage, but we still are looking at enhancement requests. And what you'll see going forward is that many of the enhancements that we'll release will probably be some of the ones that get the most attention also on the coverage roadmap. How many of you are in the Slack channel today? Okay, we already have about 1,400, close to 1,500 members in the Slack channel, it's free. That's a place that you can go out there and ask questions to AWS people and fellow customers. If you want to be in the Slack channel, you can send me a direct message via Twitter to at LuisColon1. Send me in your email and I'll send you a Slack invite. Besides the CloudFormation channel that has 1,400 members, you can also collaborate with other people from Amazon and channels just like CDK, serverless, app dev, and many others. So it's kind of like free advice and free mini support. So I strongly encourage you if you're not there to at least give it a chance and try it out. Obviously you all come here to learn uh, besides what you learned today in this Baptism by Fire conference that is reInvent. We also have a lot of free digital training and myself and other people from CloudFormation and other places, management tools and dev tools, are starting to also put a lot more effort in creating more classroom offerings, classes, collaborating with better examples. We also provide things like immersion days and uh, specific engagements that we can do with your teams. And of course, we encourage you to validate your expertise by becoming certified. And with that, I finish. Thank you very much for your attention.